Joyce Meyer was talking about her being in rebellion to Dave, her husband, for so many years. And how that she loved the Lord with all her heart. She said, I had Jesus in my heart, but let me tell you, I had rebellion in my soul. You know, and that, that's, that's what most of our problems are. It's not that we don't love Jesus. You wouldn't be here on a Wednesday night if you did not love Jesus. But do we have rebellion in our soul, in our mind, our will, and our emotions? Okay? So that's the question tonight. And as I said during prayer, uh, this wasn't always the easiest lesson for me. The first time I heard it. And let me tell you why it may not be easy when you first hear it is because we tend to compartmentalize our Christianity. Have you ever thought about that? Pastor teaches us in this church to be comprehensive Christians, and that goes through all, out of our life, all of our life and everything we say, do, how we react, how we respond. But a lot of people do not do that. They come to church and they love the Lord, but they don't let this seep over into their relationships and how they act out in the world. And so tonight, as I get through these illustrations, I pray that you, that you see that you connect the dots, okay? And it's only going to be between you and the Lord that knows because I don't know what you do out in public. Only you know what you do out in public. So if you leave here and you say, I feel condemned, well, no, that wouldn't be condemnation. That would be conviction, okay? Because I don't know what you do. So if you feel anything, that's the Holy Spirit, okay? All right, so here we are, Second Peter. We're going to start. I'm not going to read all these scriptures. We're going to start with this one, Second Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Isn't that good? <laughs> now listen to this part. And to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh, flesh in the lust of uncleanness, and despise authority, they are presumptuous, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Ouch. Okay, let's just look at that real quick. Because, you know, as Christians, we think we always walk according to the Spirit. But that's not always true. Sometimes we walk according to the flesh. Some of us are still carnal. And we've got to get this taken care of in our lives. So, does that hit you? Are you in any way presumptuous, self-willed, or not afraid to speak evil against dignitaries? I'm going to move that, and I'm going to move my Bible down here, and we're going to get going on this lesson. Okay, the opposite of obedience is obviously disobedience or rebellion. Rebellion is more than disobedience to God, but rather disobedience to authority. And we're not just talking about in church. So right now, just think, oh, okay, she's just talking about her and pastor, and that's why she's all... Oh, highfalutin about this. Oh, no, no, no. Most of, these, most of these illustrations I'm going to have tonight are not anything to do with church. These are how, how you live in the world, okay? Many people have said with regards to their disobedience, oh, I am under grace, and the key issue of the kingdom is God's grace. Let me tell you a really sad story I told my cell group last night. At another church that we pastored one time, I was uh, teaching spiritual authority, John Bevere, undercover. Anybody read that book? <laughs> Anybody reading that book right now? All the young girls in Laura's cell. And I was teaching it to the worship team. Pastor gave me that lovely job. And uh, stick me back there with the worship team. And uh, I was teaching on authority. I don't even remember what the lesson was, but one of the guitar players Raised his hand. He said, you know what I love about God? I love his grace. And we all went, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. And then he proceeded to say, I love his grace. Because you know what? I tell you right now, I am in sin. I'm in sin. I was in sin. I did, I, I did sinful things last night. I'm about ready. <laughs> I'm like, do what? Um, and he said, but you know what? God's grace is good. And you know what? This, God, God is good with my sin. He's just good with it. No, he's not. God is not good with your sin. You see, grace, and we're going to read this in chapter, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 5. It says, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name. We have received grace for obedience, not grace as the great cover-up, as John Bevere said last night in our lesson. Grace is not the, the big cover-up. 
Grace is empowered to obedience, not for sin. Um, obedience is the key issue to victorious Christian living. In Genesis chapter 2 and 3, we know the story of Adam and Eve were told not to eat one of the particular trees. God did not give them a lot of explanation of that command. They had to trust what God said and obey him, even with little explanation. You know why that's so hard in our nation as Americans? We talked about this last night. This, this, I told him last night, I said, I feel like I'm preaching the same message twice. Um, you don't see this in the church at large across the world. You see it in the American church. The American church has such a problem with obedience because we as a nation have a problem with obedience. We teach our children. I mean, you just think about it now. I don't, I don't believe Miss Louise's, uh, her generation did this. That's why your children behave. But what scares me is when I see these 30-year-old kids raising their kids, and, and they, 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 they want, to, um, they want to, to talk with their kids and reason with them. And they want to, well, I don't want to do that, Mommy. Well, honey, let me tell you why you need to do it. No, you don't tell them why they need to do it. You tell them you do it because I said you do it. I'm not going to sit there with a three-year-old and explain to him why he should not walk out in front of a car. You know, I'm not going to explain to Kaylin every reason why she can't go to someplace. I mean, sometimes you might want to teach them so that when they leave the house, they have a reasoning behind it, but to, the, to know how to follow the rules when they leave the house, not just because mother and daddy said no, but there's sometimes you just look at your kids and you say no, because I said so. And you see, we have that, that's a problem in the American churches because we want God to explain everything to us, and God isn't an American. And God doesn't have any need to explain himself to us. And so Satan got involved with Adam and Eve because he dealt with Eve's reasoning. And um, she, the whole thing is, is said, Satan said, why obey? It doesn't make sense. And I know I've said this before, but I hate, absolutely hate that bumper sticker that says question authority. I don't know if you've ever seen that. But there's a bumper sticker out there, big capital letters, question authority. Because there's a whole generation growing up that says, you know, you don't do anything unless somebody explains it to you. That's wrong. So the results of their reasoning were catastrophic. Rebellion was not limited to their action, but started with their reasoning. One of the very favorite things that John Bevere also says in that, that teaching on the bait of Satan and undercover, he says, submission doesn't even begin until there's disagreement. For you to say that you are in submission to some, whether, someone, whether it be your husband, whether it be your boss, whether it be your pastor, whoever is your authority, for you to say that you're in submission to them when you totally agree with what is going on, the decision they made, we're going to go here on vacation or we're not going to buy that car right now, and you agree with them, that's not submission. Submission doesn't even begin until you hear the words no. And I guess one of the saddest things in my life that has ever happened to me is I had a friend in this church who would stand beside me in teaching, and she would teach that like she believed it. And she would get up there and she would say, I'm going to tell you, ladies, submission doesn't even begin until you don't agree with Pastor and Tracy. And then there came a day that she didn't agree with Pastor and Tracy. And she hit the road. And that's sad. Because I'm telling you, all of this sounds really good, but it lives hard. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you this is easy to live. But this is what's going to transform us. This is what transforms us into his image. Into him as his image. When we do things that the world does not understand, when we are nice. Let me just give you an example. Um, it's in the next part. Here we go. Practical illustrations of things we do that are subtle manifestations of rebellion. Number one, a person who is not handicapped parking in a handicapped spot, saying, you surely don't mean me. A store announces the doors will close and all, you, and, and you, and all need to be out in 15 minutes, yet people still wander around. That's aggravating. If you're the one that's been on your feet at Publix for the last eight hours, you don't want somebody wandering around. We went, this is what happened to us in Gainesville, and it was such a a testimony. We, um, we couldn't find any place to eat. That's a whole story in itself. We went to the Waffle House. Did y'all see that on Facebook? We went to the Waffle House. Oh, dear Jesus. I've never been to the Waffle House before. That is quite an event, okay? Wow. Okay. 
Do you know that when they spill something on the floor, they don't wipe it up. They get out the sprayer and just start spraying down the floor. Even with people, when you're standing there, they're just spraying. I'm like, wow, how about that? <laughs> anyway, okay, I digress. Okay, so the second night, I said to Kevin, I mean, we get out of church at 1030, and I'm like, okay, don't even try that. Let's just go to Publix real quick. Actually, it was, we got out at 930. I said, oh, Publix stays open till 11, I thought. And so Publix was right beside our hotel. I said, we'll just run in there, go to the deli, get some subs. So we, we walk in. As, as we're walking in the door, Kevin points to the, to the sign. And he says, they close at 10. We look at our watch. It's 5 till 10. I was like, okay, so this is what we do. I walk straight up to the deli. And you can tell they're already cleaning up the deli. And I said to the young girl, I said, are you still making subs? Because if you're not, it's okay. We will just get something else. And she looked at me and she goes, the store's still open. I said, I understand that, honey, but you've already cleaned everything up. So I'm asking you, is this going to kind of be, you know, if it's going to be a, an inconvenience for you to make four subs for us, I totally understand. And she was like, oh, no, ma'am. Oh, no. Now, she treated us probably better than she treated anybody else all day because I went in there asking it that way rather than saying, bless God, the door is still open. It's five minutes. Make me a sub. Now, do you understand how many Christians would do that a lot, that are very demanding. I'm just going to go ahead and get on my hobby horse right now. The way you treat a waitress, and I've never even been a waitress. I'm telling you that is the most disgraceful thing I've ever seen is how some people who call themselves Christians who will pray at the dinner table but would treat the waitress like she is a slave. And I just want to tell you, if it says no substitutions, bless God, it means no substitutions. <sighs> okay? Also, let me just go ahead and say it. The waitress does not make the rules. She's the waitress, y'all. She's not the manager. She's not the owner. She is making $2.25 an hour to get you some food. Stop treating her like she's your slave. Okay? You go in, you follow the rules, you say thank you, you say honey, you say you are, you're just doing a great job. I mean, if she's doing the lousiest job in the world, you just say honey, you, you know what? I can see that you're a little bit frustrated. You just slow down. We're, we're fine. You just calm down. We're fine. That, that will just put them at ease. I'm just telling you, I've seen people act so ugly, and then when they get ready to pay the bill, want to say to the little girl, now, honey, are you a Christian? You, we want to invite you to church. I want to look at them and go, shut up. Do not even let them know you go to our church. Okay? Okay? If, if they don't have what you want, and you walk in the door, and you look at the menu, and they don't have anything you want, turn around and go someplace else. Do not go into a restaurant and explain, expect the world to change for you, okay? Yes, it means you, okay? When I heard this message for the first time, it was like the Lord had to tell me, you know what, Tracy, you are not the authority of the Piggly Wiggly. And when it says, buy one, get one free, and it says this is the rule and only two per customer, that's what it means, okay? Okay? All right, how about uh, getting to the line that's 10 items or less and you have 25 and you're like, I dare them to make me move. What are they going to do? Do you know people that have done? What are they going to do? When I, once, I get, once, I, once I get it up here, they're going to actually make me get it off? No. Okay, how about the drive up? I, I have been the bank teller. Now, this will make you mad. You're at the drive through bank teller window. You're working the, the, the drive through It says two transactions. It also says do not put coins into the little thing. You put coins in that little thing, it gets stuck, <laughs> okay? So if you ever want to know why the little thing isn't working, it's because somebody has not obeyed the rules, okay? Isn't that right, Miss Tico? Me and her first federal girls here, okay? Okay, when it says two transactions at the drive-thru, do not give them four transactions, Okay, if you live in a, a neighborhood that has covenants and restrictions, which I was just laughing to Randy Folsom, pastor will never live in a neighborhood that does not have covenants and restrictions. That really is important to him, that people follow the rules and, uh, and that we have curbs. <laughs> he will never live anywhere that doesn't have curbs. Um, but if you have a neighbor like ours behind us, and this is what's really maddening, she is a police officer. And she dares you 
to sue her. She's going to break every rule in the covenants and restrictions. And if you go and talk to her, she's like, what are you going to do? Sue me? I'm a policeman. So you see, those in authority, and I'm talking to myself because in some situations I am in authority. Those in authority still need to be under someone else's authority. Okay. How many of have you ever heard Joyce Meyer's hilarious story about stealing chickens? Okay. This was back when she was just teaching her Bible study at home. This is back when God first called her when she was making her bed. This is just a couple years into it. And she's, she's making her, um, she's going to the grocery store. And there was a, and they were really on a tight budget because she had quit her job to begin to prepare for the ministry. Okay. And that was back in the days when she said, you remember, she went to garage sales to get her kids underwear and socks and everything, you know, they never went to the regular store. So they were on a really tight budget. And so this We'll say Piggly Wiggly. It wasn't Piggly Wiggly in Kansas. They don't have those. But anyway, in Missouri. But um, so it was, you know, chickens, you know, 29 cents a pound or whatever it was back then. And limit two chickens per family. So she decides she's going to put each one of her kids in a different line with their own money. Now, already, is that breaking the rules? Because it doesn't say per person. It said per family. Okay, so she already knows that what she's doing was wrong when she did it. So she gets him in line, and, she asks, and then she tells him, don't you dare look at me like you know me. And she gave him all enough money to make sure that they had enough money. So she says she gets him, and they all get through the line, and they run outside, and they get out right outside the, the Piggly Wiggly, and they look at each other, and they went, yeah, we did it. She said that quick, the Holy Spirit said, well, there you go, Joyce, you just stole six chickens. You mighty woman of God. You see, God cares about us breaking the rules. If we cannot come under the authority of someone else, we'll never be given authority. Okay, why do we do these things? <laughs> we do not have a revelation of God's authority through delegated authority. That's why we do them. We have not been delivered from our reasoning. If it doesn't make sense to us, then we break the rules, and that's not God's way. All right, understanding the root of, of partial obedience. Obedience is non-negotiable and never a compromise. 99% is not the standard in the kingdom. How about that illustration, Pastor, put there? 1% acid in water will still kill you. Have you ever heard that illustration? I heard this on the radio the other day on uh, W. Um, or whatever, the one out of, out of Greenville, whatever that's called, LFJ, about uh, a dad wanted to teach his kids a lesson, so he made brownies, and he, and he gave them all a brownie, and, and he, right before they put it in their mouth, he goes, oh, I just need to tell you one thing. And they're like, and they're like oh, dad, they smell go, so good. Hurry up, tell it. Hurry, I want to eat it, daddy. And he's like, okay, I just put a little bit of cat poop in it. But it was just, it was just a little bit. Just, it, just, it was just like a little smidge. And they were like, yeah. He said, what? I mean, what? I mean, it's like 99% fine. It just has one little bit of cat poop in it. Okay? It still defiles the whole bunch, doesn't it? And that's the way partial obedience is. There is really no such thing as partial obedience. It's all called what? Disobedience. Okay. Um, I had a child once, <laughs> no names mentioned, um, who would say to me, well, I did most of the stuff you told me to do, Mom. I mean, that should count for something. It's one thing when they don't remember what you told them to. If they're little and you tell them, you know, three commands and they can't remember three commands. You know, do you remember that stage? You was like, go to your room, pick up your toys, and hop in the bed. And you go up there and, you know, they've done two. And you're like, what's the deal? And they're like, huh? huh? They just look at you. Okay, that's different when they're little. But when they're 15... <laughs> they know what, the, what you're saying, and they chose. Well, does that, doesn't that count for something? Yeah, it counts for something. It's called disobedience. It, it, so you'll be grounded now, and we'll be taking your car away. You see, as long as you put up with that, that's what you reinforce in your children, is that partial obedience, which equals disobedience, is approved of in this house and is obviously approved of by God. But the problem is, when they see it in us, and when they get about 15 years old and they have the nerve to say it back to you, like, well, what about you at the Piggly Wiggly? 
You see? They're smart. And you're teaching them things, whether you think you're teaching them anything or not. You're teaching them either obedience or disobedience by your own actions. All right. Somebody needs to smile at me because y'all look all real like Beverly, smile. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, to argue with God implies that God must, be, must get our consent or give us his reason for whatever he does. That's point number three. You know, in uh, point number two, I missed there. It said it back in Leviticus, and obviously we're not going to read all those chapters, but I looked them up, and that, those are all the rules. The rules about how you're supposed to eat the food and what you're supposed to do here and what you're supposed to do in the temple and how you're supposed to take a bath. And, and God didn't say... Now, do you, are you sure you understand? He just said, don't do it, 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 don't do it. And then he just said at the end, I am the Lord your God. So how does this manifest in our lives? How about this one? I'm not hurting anyone else. Variations of this is it's my own life. No one should tell me what to do. It's no one else's business. Now, as of until last night, about 10 o'clock, I did not have the perfect illustration to go with this. But I was watching a television show, and it had the perfect illustration. It was one of those nursing shows at Hawthorne. I don't know if anybody ever watched that yet. Um, and she's a nurse, and she had this mother who was a drug addict. And the mother needed heart surgery, but she was a drug addict. And the hospital said, I'm sorry, we cannot give you a heart surgery until we treat your drug addiction. And her words were, it's not fair because they're go- DSS is going to take my kids. And it's not fair that they get penalized for my mess up. Well, you know what? That's exactly right. It's not fair. But the whole time she was probably being disobedient and being, doing drugs, she wasn't thinking of how that, that was going to hurt anybody else. All she's thinking about is what it felt like for her. And we've got to realize that our actions affect more people than us. Even if it's just acting ugly at Piggly Wiggly, first of all, it affects your testimony. It affects your children if they are with you. It affects your, if anybody knew you, your, your reputation. It affects your church, pe- other people that in church that, that say they go to church with you. It affects all of that. There was a today, I went to get... Um, my hormones, my husband will be happy, praise God for that. <laughs> and um, perfect example again, standing in line, I walk in, I, I walked into the middle of some kind of altercation between the lady working at the pharmacy and this man picking up some prescription. He was hot. He was acting very unbecoming. He refused to sign the paperwork that the woman just, I mean, she, she got it for him eventually, and, and she, was, she was trying her best. I mean, you, you talk about struggling to give a customer service. She was struggling. She was trying, <clears throat> trying to be happy, trying to be smiling. He was acting like a jerk. And his about 16-year-old daughter was there with him. She was mortified. She kept saying, Daddy, just, Daddy, just shut up and just take it. Daddy, just sign the paper. He he was just going off, and I'm just like standing back about five feet thinking, woo, okay. And, uh, and, then he, and then the lady was trying to be kind of humorous, trying to break the ice a little bit, and she said, uh, she said, oh, do you work for her or something? He goes, I don't work for anybody. Nobody in this world tells me what to do. And that lady said, well, isn't that good for you? And he just grabbed his paper and walked out, and his daughter was just like, so sorry. He thinks he's not affecting anybody else. His poor daughter is thinking about that the rest of the day. Unfortunately, you know what? That's probably normal in her life. All right. My current situation exempts me at this time, point number two. (laughs) If they only knew all the details, they would understand my disobedience. This is a unique time and a unique situation. That's kind of like parking in the handicap spot. It's raining, and I can't get my hair wet because, I mean, after all, I just did it. No, that, that doesn't work. Here's a couple other stories. When we were on staff at Evangel Cathedral, we had Benny Hinn come. We were the last church that Benny Hinn came to before he went to the huge Colosseums. And, uh, of course, Pastor Baird was on staff, one of the staff pastors of this, of this large church, and, you know, he was like the police cop. You know, he had to go around and enforce all the rules and stuff. And... Um, 
had made it clear from the platform, announcements were made, made, made out, you know, nobody could have missed it. There is to be no food in the sanctuary. You know, take a lunch break. There are restaurants available. You're welcome to eat in the foyer. And, you know, there's, I mean, it was a huge church. There were plenty of places to eat. But please, no food in the sanctuary. Pastor walks in, and there is this group of about six or eight people, and they're sitting down on the floor about halfway down. Of course, it was a huge sanctuary. So it's 4,000. About halfway down. They're just getting their little circle eating Kentucky Fried Chicken. I mean, y'all, they have it spread out on the floor. I mean, the mashed potatoes, the coleslaw, everything. And Pastor walks up, and he's like, excuse me, you can't have that in the sanctuary. Could you please move that to the foyer? Well, in some explicit words that I cannot tell you here, they told him where he could go and that they were going to eat their D chicken wherever they wanted to eat their D chicken while they were waiting to be healed by Benny <laughs> Okay, so we'll bring it a little bit closer to home. Remember when we had Wednesday night meals? You remember why we had to stop doing Wednesday night meals? Okay, you had two groups of people. You either had people who would, this is the way we used to do it, for those of you who didn't know how we used to do it. We would bring, we would buy the chicken and ask everybody, what was it, like $2, $3 at the tops, okay, for, for our person. We provided all the tea, the ice, the, all the chicken, the bread, the salad. What else, Amy, did we do? I mean, we, we did quite a bit that we would get a macaroni and cheese every week that the church would pay for, okay? And then we asked people to bring an additional side so we'd have plenty of food because we were feeding about 125 people on Wednesday night. Well, you'd either have people who would not bring anything, to help. Or you would have people who would never pay because it was on an honorary and we didn't have somebody standing there going, give me your three bucks. We trusted them to pay. And when we, you know, pastor didn't make a big deal out of, he just said, you know what, this is not working. It's the church is going in the hole. We're just going to stop this for a while. You would not believe the people that had the audacity to come up and ream us out. It's the people who never paid or who never brought anything because you obviously don't mean me. I mean, you're, you're telling me people aren't paying, pastor, that's just terrible. Duh, you, we're talking about you. You're the one that didn't pay. Okay, so, and, you know, and, and in my mind, this is what I think they think. You know what, I don't have any money with me, I'm just gonna put it in my tithe check. Well, you know what, that, that isn't the way it works, okay? That isn't the way it works, okay. How about this one? I would tithe because I know that's what the Lord says, but, you know, the Lord would understand my situation right now, and I can't tithe. The Bible does not say, do you not rob God, unless, of course, things are a little tight right now. Then you're allowed to rob him. Okay, it doesn't say that. How about committing adultery? You know, God would understand. You, you think that I'm teasing on this one, uh-uh. God would understand because, you see, my spouse just is not spiritual. I know people who have had affairs with other spirit-filled believers because their husband did not believe in speaking in tongues. But Joe over here does. And so God would want me to be with Joe because we are one in spirit because we both believe in speaking in tongues. You obviously don't mean me. Yes, we do mean you. Okay. All right, how about number three? My intention or my motive was good. Variations of this are God knows my heart. Somebody last night said that. that they said, I know it's going to be tomorrow night's lesson. It's going to be God knows my heart. God understands my needs or my intentions. Okay, here we go. This just happened last week at the Forward Conference. Oh, my gosh. I know that God has done a work in my life because I did not totally lose it on this one. I did, however, lose it on the kid blowing the air horn in my ear when I turned around three times and said, please don't do that. That's hurting my ear. Then I turned back around and he'd go, Aah! So I looked at Tyler and I was like, I turned around, please don't blow that in my ear. Did you hear me say that that hurt my ear? And he just looked at me. I turned back around. At that point, 
I, tur I turned around and I stood up and I said, did you hear what I said? Do it again. And they looked, <laughs> and these kids looked at me because you see, no one has ever spoken to them like that. You could tell no authority had ever said to them, enough is enough. Okay, but that wasn't what I was going for. Okay. What I didn't, that was just extra. Okay. But what I did not respond to was at the door, y'all, at the door, they are staying on the loudspeaker. No cameras, no flash photography. And I'm thinking, okay, that's fine. I mean, as we were walking in the first night, they, are, they have people like, when you're like probably a long way from your car, but still a long way from the building, they're greeting you out there saying, if you have a camera, we're going to check it at the door and you will have to take it back. And I'm like, okay. I, I, I was like, Kaylin, you don't have a camera, do you? Because I don't want to go back to the car. Kaylin's like, no, ma'am, I don't have it with me. I was like, okay, we're good. Okay. So we get in there. Service starts. Y'all, if there is 10 cameras in there, there are 2,000 cameras in there, okay? I mean, flash, 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 flash. I mean, we're 10,000 people in this room. I mean, there's flashes. I was just like, oh, my goodness. Okay, the next day, they do it again. We're going to open your purses as you're coming in the door. You know, you're showing your wrist bracelet, and you're opening up your purse to these people that you don't know, and you're having to prove that you don't have a camera in there. And there, there's this kid sitting right beside us who's just standing up taking pictures, and I'm thinking, what, what is he thinking? I, I didn't get mad. I'm just thinking, there's nothing I'm going to do about it. It's not hurting me personally, so like the other kids, so I won't say anything. Um, but I'm thinking, what, what is running through his mind? And I can imagine it's something like this. I'm taking these pictures for the kids at home who didn't get to be here, who, who aren't getting to experience this awesome thing. But you see, it doesn't make it right. Rules are there for a purpose. Because I'm just telling you, Israel Houghton probably doesn't want his free pictures plastered all over the world, okay? He sells pictures. He sells things. And that's, these artists don't want free stuff out there. That's, that's just part of it. Okay. All right. Um, God never said, if your intentions are good, you will eat of the fruit of the land. It did, in, number, in letter D, it did not matter what Cain's motives were when he brought the wrong sacrifice. When God says, bring a lamb, you can't say, well, I brought my best squash. James 4.17 says, to him who knows what is right and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It's not a, oops. It's not a, you obviously didn't mean me. Point four. What I gain outweighs the consequences. These are the people that live by the rules. It is better to ask forgiveness than it is to ask permission. Have you ever met people like that? Have you ever met people who actually say that out loud? We had a staff pastor like that once at another church. Who would, he, he, he laughed and said that was his motto in life. And my husband said, well, that ain't going to work here. And it didn't for very long because even though he laughed about it, oh, I didn't really mean it, his whole life proved that that's what he meant. He would do things wrong and test pastor to see, does he really have the guts to say something to me? You know, and pastor had patience for probably about a year and a half, and then he had the guts to say, hasta la vista. This is really sad about the singles in the church of, of Christ at large and I've told you this before, if you are single and you're out there looking on Christian websites for a, ma a mate or a boyfriend, you better get ready because they're going to tell you that God would never expect somebody who's been, who's been married to not have sex before they get married. Where do they get that? Obviously, they're not in the word, but even if they, even if you, if you talk to them, because I know a girl who did say, what about this scripture? And she pulled out the scripture, and she was emailing him back, and she said, what about the scripture that says there shall be no fornicators found in the kingdom? And he said, oh, well, that's, that doesn't pertain to it. God, God, God understands what it's like to live in this century. You see, that's what's so sad, is that people... 
they aren't even they aren't even moved when the word is presented to them. So they obviously think it doesn't mean them. Saul gained popularity with the people by disregarding what God had said through Samuel. Partial obedience is still full disobedience in God's eyes. All right. <clears throat> Number five, I'm beyond that expectation. <laughs> Variations of that are, I'm too spiritual for that. I've been there, done that, and I don't need to do that again. This isn't the ministry I think I need. Um, the example that pastor had here was of him starting over at Evangel Cathedral, despite having been a senior pastor. And then add on to that, pastor starting a church <laughs> when he said to the Lord, I will never start a church. And the Lord said, oh, really? Because pastor thought, they obviously doesn't mean me because you see, I'm really smart. I'm really smart. I remember being in seminary. When we were in seminary and pastor was like, you know what? Churches are started by guys that really aren't very smart. Now, which it did seem to be that way in our denomination, I have to say, okay? Because if you were smart, you were usually brought on by a big church as a staff pastor or something, you know? And I remember us thinking that, going, yeah, you're absolutely right. We're never going to start a church. We're beyond that. <laughs> and then God says, oh, oh, I heard that. And so I'm going to let you go here for eight and a half years. Then I'm going to let you go over here for five years. And then I'm going to throw you out on your can and see how you do. Okay? Because God is more about our transformation than he is about listening to our <laughs> rules and regulations that we want to put on God. God, these are the things I will do and these are the things I will not do. I will not start a church, but I will pastor a large church. Thank you very much. <laughs> God says, I don't, I, I don't think so. All right. Um, we all need pastor's DNA. And some have said no to Bible memorization, to scripture reading, to working in the nursery, to encounters. And you know what? That's fine if you don't have a desire to be in any form of leadership. You know what, we're not all about controlling your life or strong-arming you to do anything you don't want to do. But you don't get to make up the rules of how you want ministry to work in your life in this place because pastor is the authority in this place. You know what, I don't get to make up my own rules because you know what, I'm not the pastor. I come under him. When he says do it, I say okay. When he says, don't talk too long, I say, yes, sir. I don't get to look at him and go, well, that obviously doesn't mean me because, see, I'm married to him. That doesn't, that doesn't work. Okay? All right. How important is, the, uh, is this to all of us, really? Well, the repercussions of partial obedience, which is actually called rebellion, which is actually called sin, <laughs> can tear a destiny out of your hands. Partial obedience puts gaps in the hedge of your protection and open doors and opens doors in your life. Remember the message I preached up here? What was that? I don't remember, a couple, several months ago, about how the enemy does not stay in the foyer. When the enemy gains legal access into your life, he has full legal ground to go into any area of your life. And if we agree as hopefully you have tonight after you've heard this, heard this lesson, that partial obedience really equals disobedience, which really equals rebellion, which really equals sin, and it's willful sin because now you know it. Willful sin opens the door to the enemy, and I love it. John Bevere said this in, I don't know which, which teaching it was, breaking intimidation or something, and he said the two ways that you can lose your authority against the enemy is number one, by you just too lazy to pick it up and use it because you don't want to wield the weapon because you don't want to quote the word and you don't want to have to look up the scripture and you don't want to have to do all that. You're just lazy. And number two is when you have willful sin in your life, you can sit there and quote scripture till you're blue in the face at the devil and he is laughing all the time because he knows what you did at Piggly Wiggly. And he knows how you just spouted off to your husband. And he knows, men, what you just basically blew off your boss, and you didn't say you can go to, but you might as well have because your attitude said it. And then we wonder why we don't have power and authority in our lives. This is important. 
me tell you, the Lord has been working on me all week getting ready to teach this. And like I said, the first time I heard it, it wasn't easy for me either. But do you want to be different? I do. And do I want that little girl at Publix in Gainesville, Georgia, when we walked out the door, she said, where have y'all been? And I said, honey, we just came from church. And she said, can you tell me about it? If I'd gone in there demanded her to make me a sub sandwich, there would have been a different outcome. Now, I didn't get to lead her to the Lord, but I think I planted a seed. And that's what it's all about. Okay. Um, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, we're almost done here. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And then this is the verse that we sometimes forget to say. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your, dis, when your obedience is fulfilled. You see, that's a perfect scripture that we can sit there and say, I bind the devil, I bind this, I take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. But it says, and ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Then... There is the Matthew 7, 21 through 23 scripture that says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And lawlessness is rebellion. That's not talking to sinners. That's talking to some pretty powerful-looking charismatics. We're talking people who are casting out some devils, prophesying, thus saith the Lord. Polly talking about some preachers. If you have not ever read John Bevere's novel called Rescued, you need to read it. It will change your life. We, as a church, we, one summer, we all read it about, what, three years ago. Also, another great book is The Final Quest by Rick Joyner. I'm telling you, that last chapter, it'll mess you up. He talks about how he had a vision of heaven and all these great pastors and preachers that he had seen on television were standing outside of the gate. And he said, if I, if I said their name, you would all know them. And I said to them, how can you not have made it? And they said, well, we all started out well, and we really loved God with all our heart. But then you know what? We kind of got just a little too big for our britches. We started to believe our own press, and we started to believe that the rules didn't pertain to us and that what everybody else had to do, we didn't have to do. And now we didn't make it in. I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want to have stood up here and taught y'all. And because of some ugly attitude and way I want to be, and I, well, I have a right to say what I, my opinion is, and I have a right to demand good service, you have a right to do anything you want. But what's going to be the final outcome? I want to end with this. This is not the conclusion that Pastor gave you there. This is another one. If you want to turn to your Bibles real quickly, I want you to see this um, firsthand. Luke 5, verses 1 through 11, and this is the end. Luke 5, 1 through 11. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of whatever that is. <laughs> And saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Notice nets, plural. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, talking Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets, plural, 
for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. So what's he saying? He's basically saying, you know what? You stick to preaching and I'll stick to fishing. You know, I'm tired. I don't want to hear. I've heard your preaching now. It's good, but I'm done. But he knows better than that. So he says, but nevertheless, at your word. So he's trying to be spiritual. How many of us have said that? We roll our eyes at our boss. Sure. Whatever you say. Look at our husbands. Sure, dear. Mm, exactly what you say, baby. Can I tell you how many times I have done that? And Kaylin has said, Mama, I saw you roll your eyes at Daddy. Was that teacher? That teacher, you get to roll your eyes at Daddy. When you get married, you get to roll your eyes at your husband too. Is that right? No. So then I had to repent. And then she says, little prophetess, are you going to go in there and tell Daddy that you rolled your eyes at him? Yes, I am. I'm, <laughs> you can go with me. <laughs> so, I, honey, I just need to tell you I rolled my eyes at you. So, okay. Now, let me tell you, as my husband says, somebody make you clean up your mess a couple times, you'll stop messing up. Okay, so here we go. Back to Peter, <laughs> rolling his eyes at Jesus. All right. Um, and he says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Is that what Jesus had said? No, Jesus said, let down the nets. And he said, fine. Let's, let's just compromise, I tell you what. He doesn't go through all, but he's, in his heart, he's going, fine. I'll let one stinking net. Okay. And then they had done this. They caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. I'm going to come back to that. For he and all who were there with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had been taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now this is the deal. When Peter saw, because you, I'm just telling you, I, I have the same temperament as Peter. I know when I'm being a smart behind, okay? If you have my temperament, don't act like you don't know it when you're being the way you are. You know it. I know it. Don't act like, I didn't know. I did, oh, did that hurt your feelings? I didn't know. Yes, you did. <sighs> when we're acting like that, we know we're acting like that. Peter knew he had disobeyed. He rolled his eyes at Jesus, and he put down one stinking net. The, the scholars say that they made so much that day in fish that it was over a month's wages. And this is what I feel like the Lord, Peter, Peter was smart with his mouth, but I'm telling you, the guy got some revelation, okay? I believe that in that moment when he got that, all that fish and they were sinking the stinking boats, that Peter, it came to him, if I would have just obeyed him, we could have made enough to live for a year. Now, do we all think, you obviously don't mean me. Yes, we have all been there, done that, got a couple t-shirts. The question tonight is, will we be like Peter and repent and say, yep, I did it. That was me. But Lord, I want to change. I am, what's the part of the I am a sinful man. I am a sinful woman. This is not a mistake. This isn't a character defect that I need to work on. No, it is called sin. It is rebellion. When I think I am the boss, when I am not the boss, that is sin. So tonight I'm just asking us to admit what we are. Because what does Jesus, Jesus didn't go, yeah, you low life. What did Jesus do? Jesus said, now, Peter, now that you see it and you've, and you've repented, now get out there and catch me some men. 
See, that's what God wants for us. He's not going to beat us up tonight when we say, you're right. I messed up. I did it wrong. He's going to say, thank goodness you got the revelation. Now, repent. Ask me to help you. When you go out to a restaurant the next time, when you go to, to you see a handicapped parking place and it's raining down and you, and you think, I want to park there, and you go, no, Lord, I'm not going to do it. When you do all these things right, he said, the Lord's looking at us, he's looking at us and he's saying, I'm going to reward you. And I am going to be able to give you more authority than you've ever had. You're going to begin to have opportunity to witness to people. And you are going to move mightily in things that you never dreamed you'd be able to do. But first, you've got to admit what you've done. All right, let's all stand and close in prayer. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this revelation, Lord. As hard as it is to swallow, Lord, sometimes we're just blind to our ways. So, Lord, for all those times that we've snuck in our cameras, for all those times that we've parked in the wrong places, for all those times that we've been mean to waitresses, for all those times that we've rolled our eyes at our authority, Lord, we repent. By an act of our will, without having to be convinced and reasoning it out, we choose right now to say it was wrong and it was sin. And now, Lord, your word says and it promises us that when we repent, that you remove our transgressions from us as far as the uh, east is from the west. And so, Lord, if we really do that tonight, we're going to have a clean slate. And tomorrow is a new day. Well, actually, when we walk out of here, it's a new day. There might be another test on the way home. But, Lord, I'm going to pass it. I want to be transformed. When that song says, I will search for you and I will find you, Lord, sometimes what I find is you correcting me. But, Lord, I want to find you no matter what. Lord, we love you. Now, send us out of here, Lord, in the power of your spirit, ready to influence a world and maybe some little deli girl at Publix tonight who needs to know what Jesus looks like in human form. Bring us back Sunday ready to hear a great report and some exciting news from our pastor. In Jesus' name, amen.